0: This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Well, if you weren't here on introduce yourself, you don't know me. Like I said, my name is Stephen McCaslin. Uh, I am our family minister here at Austin Life Church. And if that tells you anything, my, my roots um, in learning how to speak and my passion for uh, to, for sharing the gospel began with students, middle schoolers and high schoolers. So that being said, there's usually a trend uh, that I tend to follow when I give sermons. I usually open with a story, walk through the text, and then that story will somehow help us understand and uh, gather the truth that's found within the scripture. Um, so I have a variety of stories that are my go-tos. Uh, there's, you know, there's one where, like, talk about soiling myself in the middle of a 12-year-old baseball game and, and, and the, the embarrassment found in that. Uh, Sometimes I'll open up uh, by singing the Pokemon theme song. I want to be the very best that no one ever was. Uh, I have a few different things that like some maybe like go-to stories, like you'll hear like some pastors or like camp speaking pastors will have. Um, And we're going to do that again this morning. Um, But there is a weight in this text that is unavoidable. And I, I don't think it would be very honoring to what Christ is doing here and what he's speaking if I were to open with a Pokemon theme song or, or, or talking about a story of me soiling myself at a baseball game. I, I don't think it'd be very honoring. And, and, and this, you're like, oh man, it's, it's getting kind of serious. But the reality is, is this text, um, is, it, it has some weight behind the honesty of Jesus. Um, so we're gonna, we're gonna start with a non-biblical-like opener. Um, but before we do, I, I just wanna pray for our hearts um, that we can receive... Um, the message that Jesus was teaching his disciples, uh, and that he has for us today, uh, before we get going. So if y'all will pray, pray with me. I just, I want to speak to the Lord this morning and come to him. So Father, during Christmas season, we celebrate and remember, uh, you coming to earth. So I just pray this morning as, as we're going through your, this text, um, and spoiler alert, you're calling us to live a humble life. I pray that you just open up our hearts to what to what your heart that you're sharing with your disciples so that we can feel um, any joy you feel. We can feel any hurt you feel, any compassion you feel. And God, that we can be led out from here with the humility that you're calling us to live by. So I, just, I pray, um, God, that um, every gift I have, I can just lay before you and that your spirit will move and work as you call us to in the scripture. Um, God, and just that our, hear, our ears and our hearts can be open to you this morning. I praise things in your name, amen, and awesome. Um, so you might you might know that, that the scripture being read beforehand might give you a little bit of a spoiler, uh, but if you were to guess the number one stressful event in someone's life, what are some things you might guess? This is feedback. Like I said, I'm a student guy, so like you don't just get to sit quietly. So what are some things, if you think most stressful event in someone's life, what might it be? Moving, new career, child, death, death of the family. Any other ideas? Public, (laughs) yes, (laughs) exactly. Well, I guess any married couples in the room have some solid marriages. I didn't hear wedding once, man, that's great. I think that's what a lot of people, maybe after the fact, it wasn't very stressful, but leading up to like weddings can be super stressful. And these were actually all things. Like I went to a bunch of different, like I am not ai don't remember the websites of what they were, but they were real medical websites, right? They were talking about the most stressful events in person's life. And almost unanimously, it was always in the top three, but almost every single time, the number one most stressful event in someone's life was the death of a family member. And I can relate and understand it being like the saddest or the most difficult. Like that, that makes a lot of sense to me. But stress, it seems like there's a lot of things in life that tug at stress. It, but so the fact that this is number one, right? There's there some things, it, it's, I still get it, right? You know, you've got um, obviously dealing with the like emotional loss, in grief. Um, m- meanwhile, you're having to plan a funeral and call flower people and, and get any type of whether it's a urn or a casket stuff situated, and is there a burial site? Or we, There's a lot of logistics that need to happen while you're emotionally um, challenged through this. Uh, maybe there's new living arrangements. Um, if it was a spouse or a father or mother, and you're having to move to a new place um, as well as any medical bills that were maybe left by that individual, right? There's a lot of things that it does like really obviously cause stress in us. And this isn't always an issue, but if it's an issue, it is always the most stressful part of, of the loss of a family member, and that's the will, right? I don't know if you've ever had family situations where this happens, but you always hear stories. To the fact that where I was just in, I was curious, so I Googled, in quote, questions about my family member's will, just to see what would pop up. And about half of the responses were, like, how can I help my family member write my will? Do you have to have a will notarized in the state of Texas? Different stuff like that. But the other half of the responses were, uh, for example, my mother left my will to my stepfather and wrote me out of it. How do I get what I deserve? Or my sibling is claiming that they own this thing, but my father's will, we think says something different, but I can't gain access. How do I gain access to my father's will so that I can get what I deserve? And and I think that helps turn the page a little bit for why death of a family member is stressful. The pain, the hurt makes sense, but stress seems a little off. But the thing is, is when you're already dealing with so much emotional turmoil, there are then all these decisions that honestly are the last thing you wanna make that you're having to last minute sometimes, a lot of the times, figure out where things belong, who's going where, what's being sold, what's being kept. And there's so much stress because there's emotion, there's like memories, there's heritage, like family heirlooms tied up in this that you're having to make a week's decision on what to do with it. So, so the number one moment in life of stress, almost unanimously across the board, was uh, the death of a family member. So with that in mind, I want us to begin looking at our text. But before we do, I want to set the stage a bit. Uh, So I'll put a little timeline. Could you throw that up there for us to to look at? So we can set the stage of what's happening. Great. So this is our our previous weeks of lessons, right? So as we talk through, uh, the Gospel of Mark has like a page-turning moment right in the middle of it. So we have the beginning talking about who Jesus is, and then the end talking about what Jesus is going to do. And the turning page of this happens whenever Peter confesses Jesus is Christ. That's day zero. Think of it like the beginning of, of our story here. Peter confesses Jesus is Christ. And then on that same day, Jesus foretells for the first time that he is going to die and be resurrected. Immediately following that, Peter pulls Jesus aside, right? And he kind of is like, hey, like, boy, you, you, you got this messed up. I just told you you were God. What are you talking about dying? And to which uh, we talked about recently, right? God rebukes Peter by rebuking Satan. And, and he tells uh, his, his disciples, whoever wants to follow him must deny themselves, take up the cross, right? Six days pass. So not even a full week, right? From the time that Peter confesses Jesus is Christ. We get Jesus, Peter, and a couple of the other disciples are on this mountain. And Jesus begins Glowing so bright they can't even see him, right? And then Moses and Elijah appear, and then God speaks through the clouds, and we have Jesus, uh, as the story is called, the Transfiguration of Christ. And a few of these disciples see Jesus in his, well, uh, see Jesus, they, they're, they're present with Jesus in his full glory. And then on that same day, they come down from the mountain, and his disciples are trying to heal this boy, and they can't. So Jesus does. helps the belief of the man, and he heals this boy. And when they're asked, like, why couldn't we heal him? He's like, well, this this demon has to be cast out by prayer. So his disciples weren't praying, right? So we have this time frame of six days where we have them realizing Jesus is the Son of God. He tells them he's going to die, and they're like, wait, that's not how it works. And then he corrects it. Then he's transfigured. A few of the disciples get to see that. And then Jesus heals this boy, and he's like, hey disciples, you weren't praying, you weren't speaking with God, and that's why you could not heal this boy. And then today's story comes after a short time of travel. So once again, they're traveling on foot. It's not like they got in the car, and 30 minutes later, they arrive at this house, as we hear in the beginning of our story. But this would not have been months or years worth of travel. It says they passed through Galilee, so think of a short period of travel is where we end up with today's story. So this is a really short time frame of these big biblical events happening, which I think really impacts the way that we look at today's text. Um, so that being said, I told you my formula. We've kind of talked through a story. We know, we know where we are. So we're just going to walk through our text this morning. We're going to, we're going to break it down. Uh, really straightforward. So if, you're, if you aren't already there, if you want to open up uh, to Mark, um, Chapter nine, verses thirty through thirty-two, is what we're going to look at first. And, and I'm going to reread it for us as we as we um, see what the Lord's telling us through this text. Verse thirty through thirty-two says, "They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered.'" and to the hands of men, and they will kill him. And whenever he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Right, so the first thing we notice, which we talk about a second ago, is Jesus has passing through Galilee. And up to this point, right, the pages turned in the, gospel, in the gospel of Mark. But Jesus didn't just pass through towns without talking to people very often. Like whenever they visited a town, it was to show who he was, he would teach or he would heal or he would teach and heal. Maybe he would cast out demons. He would perform miracles. Jesus, whenever he went through a place, he was present. He was, he was proclaiming his and his father's glory. But here we don't get that. It says Jesus just passes right through the town and wanted no one to know he was there. But don't worry, the text tells us why, right? It says um, uh, in verse 31, for he was teaching his disciples. So, I have a question. M- more response time. It says that the Jesus, or it says that the disciples were afraid to ask Jesus what his saying meant. So, the question I have is: Why do y'all think that Jesus is so unapproachable here? Like, why do the disciples avoid talking to him in fear? What What are some thoughts? There's, there's, there's not an exact answer. There's a few different things this could be. Any ideas as to why the disciples may? be afraid to ask Jesus what he means here. They don't want to look dumb. That is, that is one big one. Like, straightforward, they, they, they're ashamed by the fact that they don't get it, maybe. Absolutely. Any other ideas? But yeah, oh, that's, that's, I didn't even have the on. That's a good point. They just saw Jesus shining in glory, so it's like, uh, I'm kind of, that was, that was already intimidating enough. Maybe I don't want to ask what he means here. Yeah, great one. Any other ideas? They don't want to accept it. That's, that's another one that I had, I had written down, right? They, they knew, well, if we ask and he says, no, for real, I'm dying, that's a scary reality. Maybe they don't want to know the answer. Maybe that's it. And yeah, I have one more that might be the case. Nathan, what's up? Yeah, of yeah so well, it's like piggybacking off of that. If that's the reality, then that might have to be my reality because he just told me I would have to take my cross. So maybe I don't. Like, just days before, right? He told me this. Maybe I don't want him to be really. Yeah, any other thoughts? Yeah. Dumbfounded? Yeah, like shell-shocked. And, and, and one thing that might be is, with, that goes with that is, what happens the last time Peter was like, hey, no, you're not gonna die. I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. What happened? Hey, Satan, get out of here. Whoa, I'm not, maybe it's, maybe they're like shell-shocked. This is such, this is all happened so quick. There's so many events been going on. They're like, uh, well, Jesus was shining in glory, and the last time Peter was like, hey, I don't think you're supposed to die, he kind of got like yelled at, and "I, I don't want that to happen to me, so I'll just hold my peace, right? But for whatever reason, we see that the disciples feel like they are unable to approach Jesus with their questions about what he means here. But that doesn't still fully explain why they don't get it. He had just told them this previously in chapter eight and verse 32, it even defines it as he told them plainly. See, Jesus had spoken in parables. He had said all these sorts of things, but Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter eight, verse 32 says, he told them plainly, the son of man will die. This was right after they had said, you are the Christ. Like they, whenever he said the son of man, this wasn't like he was word playing and and being like all uh, lofty with his words. He was just plainly telling them this. But I, I want to be honest with you. Whenever I went with all of y'all, when I was first working on the sermon, I was being kind of harsh on the disciple. I was, you know, like I, I was, I was kind of being like, well, that's, he, this is the second time he's told you in a week. Like, it should be pretty, pretty easy to understand. Um, but I, I want to give you a bit of maybe a correlation that'll help you get this, right? So they had just seen him transfigured. They had just understood who he is in full glory. So they see Jesus as this unstoppable force. And I, are, I have experienced very few people in my life that I feel like they are that, but one was my pre-K and kindergarten teachers. Am I right? Can anybody relate to that? Anybody remember like being like a little four-year-old, five-year-old in class and you see that adult and like you're pretty sure that when the bell rings and you leave the class, like they grab their briefcase or purse and just fly home because they are like indestructible humans that are perfect. Did anybody actually feel that way? I really did. Like I thought, I felt like my like kindergarten teachers were like this epitome of, of like perfection. Now, whenever I began to like get into high school or even more so when I graduated and some of my like friends became those, you know, kindergarten teachers, I was like, oh, there's there's a humanity to them, right? Uh, I'm like, oh, that person's teaching five-year-olds? Was that how my kindergarten teacher was? was my te- You know, and that's no knock on any of my friends if are listening uh, and you teach kindergarten. I'm not talking about you, you're great. I would have never questioned it, right? But like, but we, we we get this reality in our mind, like, as a fifth grader, I was like, my kindergarten teacher is indestructible, and I think that's why it's so uncomfortable to see your teachers at Walmart, right? Like, you walk in, and your teacher's hair is a mess, like, they're struggling to keep everything in the cart, their kids are screaming, and they're, like, snapping back at them, and you're like, that that can't be, no, that's not how this works, that's, no, 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 my teacher, you know, Miss Smith, Miss Smith is so nice, she's so kind, she always looks so pretty, and she's like, everything's great. She can't be a mess. That's not how this works. And I think the disciples were having this Walmart moment with Jesus. Like, they had just seen him in his full glory, and then he's going, no, wait. It's like, so the difference here, right, is my reality was of who my kindergarten teacher was, was wrong. I, I didn't see them fully, and the thing is is the disciples' reality of who Jesus is is not wrong here. it's not that he truly wasn't transfigured, he was not the Son of God, but the action steps of what that means were mis mis-scued. see they they it's to, to give them credit like i I think I'd have been the same way. I felt shell shocked right I've, I felt just a like stunned whenever I saw my teachers and their humanity. And I I think whenever Jesus comes to them like this, they don't know what to do with it. They're so lost. Let's continue on uh, throughout our text. Verses 33, we gonna read through 34. Um, So there's kind of three sections to this text. And this is pretty uh, widespread throughout the gospels, right? We have a truth of Jesus met with an error of man met with the correction of Jesus. So, so the truth of Jesus that he's teaching here is he's saying, I'm, I'm gonna die, and then after three days, I will come back. That is the truth of Jesus that we find here. And then now we're gonna find either the mistake or the like, celebration of what the, the disciples did correctly, but uh, that's not the case this time. So in verse 33, says this. And when they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. On the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Jesus comes to his disciples in need. You know, we look at we look at him later on, he's gonna to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and he knows he's going to the cross. The same thing he's telling him here. And we know he needs his disciples. Like what, Jesus, does God need people? Does that, does that work? But when he goes into the garden, he's so overwhelmed with the, the truth and pain and burden of what he's about to experience that he asks his disciples, please pray for me. And then he goes and he's sweating blood because he's so overwhelmed with the weight of the reality of what he is about to endure. And then when he goes back and his disciples were asleep, if he did not need his friend's support, he would have let them sleep. But he goes, no, hey guys, wake up. I asked you to pray for me. Please pray for me. So he goes again to the father and he's praying, interceding, seeking the father. And he comes back and what are his disciples doing? They're asleep again. And if he did not need his disciples, he would have let them sleep. But he wakes them up. He's like, guys, I asked you to be praying for me. And here we have Jesus Jesus, fully God, fully man, he clearly knew and was overwhelmed with the burden, followed through, but overwhelmed with the burden of the reality of his coming uh, death when he was praying in the garden. And this reality would have still been weighing on him here. We go back to our talk about, you know, wills and, and why that's so, like why it's such a stressful time, right? Why it's so confusing. Um, We kind of see a little, like, image of that here. See, Jesus is telling them, like, hey, I'm gonna die soon. And the disciples, instead of, instead of, like, coming to him and and, and saying, wait, wait, you're gonna die? Like, is there anything we can do about it? Like, can we call someone? Can we help? Like, or, or can we, can we pray for you? Like, you just told us we had to pray to cast out demons. Can we be here for you in this way? They start talking on the side. Hey, like, Who's, who's getting the will? Like, we, we've got to figure out who's the greatest amongst us. And once again, I started out, man, last week, I was harsh on these disciples. I was like, man, that's so wrong of you. Like, Jesus is coming, he's trusting you, and you're just sitting on the side talking about, like, who gets the tools, right? Like, he was a carpenter. Like, I like woodworking, so I think Jesus, I was his closest friend. I deserve Jesus's tools. Like, they would be so neat to continue on his family business by, by, with, with his tools. I deserve that, you know? Or maybe they're saying, well, you know, Jesus didn't own land or anything like that, um, but he was, he was a really good teacher. So I think I'm the greatest and I get to like carry this out and everybody gets to be like, oh, look, look at Peter. Peter's such a great teacher. And, and I, I was harsh on him. I was like, why were y'all focusing on these things instead of like focusing on what Jesus told you? But in the same way, right? Like a good business, and this is where y'all got my prequel if you heard me sound checking, a good business, right? If there's a CEO who passes, doesn't matter how good the business is. If some yahoo takes over the business, what's gonna happen? It's gonna crash. So even though they were confused as to what Jesus said, maybe they're on the side going, hey, who's, who's taking over this ministry? Jesus has done so much for so many people. Like, we need to know who the best is so they can lead us and lead us and guide. We don't really know what it is here, but either way, the disciples missed out on what Jesus wanted them for, what he wanted them Therefore But what we see here is we see that they have an obvious shame, right? They're fully aware of what they were doing was wrong. Uh, Sarah, if you can put I have a little, uh, a, a little quote up there It says they didn't ask what he meant earlier. Um, oh no, 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 before that one. my bad. It may be on there. That was the actual quote. "You did your job right. I'm poor explaining. I'll say it maybe be funny. Yeah, yeah. So they didn't ask earlier. Uh, they didn't ask what he meant earlier because they were ashamed of their ignorance, right? Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna die. And it says they were afraid to ask. Now they won't speak because they're ashamed of their pride, right? Verse 34 says, but they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Once again, I've, I've been harsh on these disciples all week long, planning these sermons. I've been like, man, get it together. But, but, oh, I've got to go this way in my Bible. Go to John, if you will, with me. John chapter one, right? These, we're going to read some words of how these disciples later, knowing Jesus, who he is fully, what they said about him. So in John chapter one, verses one through five, talking about Jesus, they say this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. This word is Jesus. overcome it. The disciples understood who Jesus was here. He was in in creation. He made everything. Without him, nothing was made, and he's telling us he's going to die. This isn't clicking with them. This doesn't make sense. If we put ourselves in their shoes, I think we would have responded similarly to the disciples, especially after the last time Peter was like, hey, no, 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 wait, you know, you were the light that overcomes darkness. You can't die, and then Jesus like rebukes him. I, I I think it's really fair if, if we put ourselves in their shoes, the response of the disciples here. So in one breath, we get the humility, the perfect humility of Jesus saying, I, I will die. And then the very next, the disciples are whispering about who is best, whether they had selfish, purely selfish, or if they were maybe looking out for the ministry, right? Motives. We have very, two very different hearts present. A humble heart of Jesus and a prideful heart. Of his disciples. Now for that quote, uh, Micah D. Uh, Keel, a professor of theology at St. Ambrose University, in describing this text, said it really well. Uh, Juxtaposing Jesus's words about his coming suffering and their argument about who is greatest is marked at his ironic best and contributes to the continued depiction of disciples and Jesus. Right? So when Mark, even though these things happen back to back, he is very intentional as he writes this text. Right? Like very ironic. Like here is how humble Jesus is. And then immediately we have the disciples talking about who's the best. It shows the reality of who Jesus is and the reality that we sometimes find ourselves in. Let's continue on with the last section of this text. Right? So we've seen the truth of Jesus. We've seen Uh, the disciples mistake and now we're gonna see the correction of Jesus and remember what Jesus' correction looked like for Peter. Peter pulls him aside to very privately say, hey Jesus, I think you're wrong and Jesus goes, hey, let's go back to all the disciples. Hey, get behind me, Satan. Remember his correction with Peter and let's see what he does with his disciples here. So going back on over to Mark chapter nine, this is verses 35 through 37. We see the response of Jesus and he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if any one would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now I know what you're thinking. Right. It's real convenient that they got the family minister to talk about how important kids are, right? Like, okay, we get it. Like, yeah, you're gonna tell us that you need to like love kids and like serve in the ministry and right. And I mean, geez, when we look at this text, like, it sounds like it's the most important thing for a Christian to do. Like, whoever welcomes, like, if you don't teach kids, you don't get the Father, right? Like, like, man, it'd be, well, oh, it'd be real, it'd be real easy to gain some uh, some f- passionate volunteers if if we stood up here and taught that way, but. If, if we did that this morning, if we read this text and our takeaway was that serving kids is important, we would be doing such, such a great disservice to what Jesus wants to teach us here. Right? We, we would be missing his point entirely. See, Jesus, we see here, back from the top, is, is aware of his disciples' selfishness. And he's really familiar with this, right? His whole ministry, the Jewish leaders have been upset with him because they were looking for a reigning king and a sense of like a, like a kingdom, like, like, a, like a physical kingdom that they could see and that all the other kings would be overthrown and there would be no kingdoms because God would have eradicated all armies on earth and there would be like peace everywhere. That is what they were wanting. So when Jesus would claim himself as a son of God, they were furious because this is not what God can look like. And the disciples are falling into the same trap. They've been following Jesus, but then whenever the reality of Jesus isn't what they thought it looked like practically, they begin losing sight. So, because of their desires being on selfish rule, Jesus does something that's really cool, and he welcomes a child of the home into his arms. So once again, no, like it wasn't like the child was like the uh, important thing that we're getting here, right? Jesus, they're in a home, like a, a, they're staying in someone else's home while they're passing through town. So whenever Jesus sees his disciples bickering about who's the best and he realizes their selfishness and their um, ashamed nature, towards that. Does that make sense? Ashamed nature towards their selfishness, right? He does something that's cool, and he sits them down on the floor. Will I still be in the camera frame? Yeah. He sits them down on the floor, and he tells them, you know what, if you want to be the greatest, you need to be the least. And then looking around the room, he's like, oh, can you bring your child to me real quick? He sits the child with him, places his arms around him, and he's like, whoever received a child, like, you're gonna receive me. And if you receive me, you'll receive the Father. See, Jesus wasn't focusing on kids' ministry. He was using what he had. And he was saying to disciples, oh, here, bring the child to me, right? See, children aren't some specific importance here. Instead, Jesus is using a child to represent someone who has absolutely no honor or no power. Did that kid own the home they were in? No. Did the, did the kid have a job to pay for their meals? No, he may have worked the, the land for his father, but did he own that land? No, he didn't own that land. Was, was, he, was he a political leader in the community? Like, was he, was he in charge of anything, Like overseeing anything? No, did, he wasn't. Did he teach in the temple? Was he a religious leader for the community? Did he do that? No, he, he was just a child. See, the disciples, whenever Jesus is coming to them saying, I'm gonna die, they're focusing about who's the best and who's gonna take charge and who's gonna take over maybe in Jesus' absence, but he's going, no, 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 no your minds are set on the wrong thing so he welcomes this kid to teach the importance of humility but interestingly enough in doing this he's showing a lot of compassionate correction right like he sits on the floor with them he's not he's not towering over his disciples trying to prove his point he just hey let's let's sit around and talk he gets low with them and he brings a child and he teaches them why do you all think response time his reaction now is different than what he was reacting with Peter. What are some reasons he might be uh, responding to his disciples this way? Any thoughts? Yeah, modeling it, modeling it for them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Yeah, cool, yeah. Well, so, so piggybacking off of that, right, he is showing them humility. See, whenever Peter corrected Jesus, what did he do? He said, hey, my way is right, and I'm gonna tell you why. Jesus goes, ah, no, 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 no. You're really arrogant with, with, with your uh, belief that you know what's right. So he pulls him aside and corrects that arrogance. But the disciples here, whenever they questioned Jesus, did they walking through Galilee go, hey, Jesus, you're wrong. Were they arrogant in there? thoughts, no, they were, they were ashamed. And then whenever uh, it says that Jesus understood what they were talking about, uh, did they say, well, Jesus, honestly, we were talking about who's the best because we need someone to take over, and you're, you're letting us down. Is that, was that their response? Well, they, weren't, they weren't prideful with their pride. They were ashamed. They, it was like they understood that what they were doing was wrong, but they were afraid. They were worried. So Jesus didn't come to them with, with aggression and with, and with like an iron fist to correct their wrongs. Instead, he's like, hey, I know you're afraid. Don't worry. Like, come sit down. Let's talk this through. And he walks through this truth with them. And the truth, once again, being not that a child is of some grand, significant stature and they are the most important person you can minister to, but instead to take their minds off of their pride and move it towards humility— And in part of my progress uh, through not being as uh, hard on the disciples this week, right, with this truth, uh, came through the Spirit leading me to a text. And I normally wouldn't phrase that this way, but I I really believe the Spirit was really leading me towards this text in regards to this season. So if you will, we're going to read one last passage. Flipping back now to uh, Matthew, right? It's the Christmas season, so you're at the very beginning of Matthew, obviously, um, but we see like Jesus comes to his disciples uh, Not in a reigning sense In a lowly sense And his disciples response Before Peter's like no 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 you got it wrong And now they're still like that doesn't make any sense And we're going to talk about who's the greatest Right It's like they were They were focused on the wrong will of Jesus I guess we could say Right like they were focused on the will as in the belongings and who's gonna take charge. I was trying to make a W there, that didn't really work. The will of Jesus, now you at three. They were focused on Jesus's will instead of the will of Christ to be humble and to serve. So we see here then we have a different group of people. We can learn from the disciples, but we can also learn from these people. Matthew 2, uh, verses seven through 12 tells the story of the Magi. Maybe you're familiar with them as the wise men. Um, so we get this story of the Magi. So this is after Christ's birth. He would be a young child, like really, really young, you know. He wouldn't, it wasn't like he was there when they were, they were there when he was born. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, so, we, so we have this story of the wise men coming to Jesus. So I want to read that. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. And the Lord really humbled me with this this week. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what the time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring him uh, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. See, earlier we learned that King Herod's really upset and he wants to kill Jesus. Like he, he doesn't want Jesus to take over his kingdom, but he's telling his wise men like, oh, let me know where he is so I can go worship him And opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they they departed to their own country by another way. Right, the the magi here would have been foreigners. So they weren't like direct servants of Herod, right? They were foreigners. But Herod, a king that was well-known all throughout the land, right, gives them a task hey, go find him and let me know so that I can worship him too. So their plan from the get-go is to depart from the king, go worship Jesus, give him these gifts, and then go tell the king where Jesus is, or go, yeah, so that the king can go worship Jesus, right? That's their plan. That's their mission. That's what they're being sent to do. And part of that goes just as planned, right? They're, They're serving one king, The task is for him, but when they see Jesus, or they even see the star, what did it say they did? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And then when they walk in and they see Mary and this infant, they are overwhelmed with his kingliness. And they fall to their face and they worship him. And immediately after that, right, they're getting their treasures and they're saying, here you go, Jesus, you deserve this. We don't, this is all for you. We see such a joy in the worship of a baby, right? This wasn't in my notes to read this psalm, uh, but I love this psalm, and and I think the Lord's revealing it to me uh, as we were worshiping. In Psalm 8, it's the majesty of the Lord, right? So David's writing about the Lord here, and he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field and birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. And when I think of rejoicing with exceeding joy, I think of that. Like, man, you, you put the stars there, yet you care about me. And, and, and where I felt conviction um, was actually while worshiping uh, this week. I was listening to a song called Christ is Risen, uh, not the old Matt Mars song, but uh, old. It was like 10 years old while it shows our society. Anyway, not the old Matt Mar song, uh, but instead a song uh, by Phil Wickham and Bethel. And, and I was worshiping, and, and even today, oh man, what's the, what, was the, what was the second song I did? Laura, sing it. King of kings, right? Like when we sing, like, and to the virgin gave the birth, like our, like the whole room, right? Is always like, ah, to the virgin gave the birth. And, and in this song, uh, Christ is risen and, and, in, and king of kings, right? And then you get to that third verse. So in, in Christ and risen, uh... well, I forgot the lyrics to it. This is embarrassing. <laughs> Give me a second. This is vital. Hey, people at home. This is reality. This is real time. uh Spirit moving. Uh, yeah, this is it. This is it. Um, see, it brought up the old Matt Marr version whenever I just searched it. <laughs> okay. All right, so the third verse, right, is this And on the day you call me in to heaven's sweet embrace. I'll see your scars, your open arms, the beauty of your face. Here comes the bass drum. And through tears of joy, I lift my voice in everlasting praise. And then you get it. And it's like the song like kicks this next level. And then the chorus comes in and there go the hands, they're up. And I think, I know that the Lord rejoices and he is, he is, he is, he is, like welcoming our worship. I don't think he's like, oh, how dare you worship me this way? But we look at the disciples, right? And they're following Jesus and they see him on that, you know, uh, the transfiguration and they're falling on their face and like, we need to build tents. We want to stay in this place. This is amazing. But then when Jesus appears in humility and we're singing, you know, oh, to a virgin gave the birth. There's no bass drum. To a virgin came the birth. Like there's, I, I think even in our reality, a lot of times, When it comes to Jesus' humility, we're not as excited, and and we're not pumped up for that. We're pumped up for the will. We're pumped for what we get out of our salvation, and I'm not saying that's always in a selfish way, but we're very excited for the return, which is good. Scripture tells us to be. That's not a bad thing, but also we see the magi here, and when we look in our story in Mark today, Jesus is coming humbly to his disciples, and in the same way that he came humbly to them, he came humbly, right? The guy who placed the stars out there now is dependent on humanity, right? The guy who spoke and and beings came into existence now is having to poop in a diaper, like has the own inability to take care of himself, right? The one who created cows is now like asking for his mommy to feed him whenever he's, you know, a year old. Hey, can you spoon me some beef? Like he, the, the creator was unable, like humbled himself. And man, this Christmas season, I know it's like, uh, he's gonna talk about the reason for the season. Get out of here. Yeah, that's how I feel too. Um, honestly, just because it's, uh, but st- like, man, we, we get so excited for the power of Jesus as we should, for the love of Jesus as we should. But I just want to encourage us, and, and I know that's what Jesus is doing here in Mark 9 with his disciples. Just as the Magi did, to rejoice and to celebrate in his humility. Right? Like when Jesus I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be born as a baby to be excited in humility, and then we have two responses uh, that I want to think through today. Charlie, Laura, y'all can go ahead and come up for worship uh, for us today. As, as we reflect on these two things, and the first, well, so the Magi's humility lead to these two things, giving Jesus their gifts and following his kingdom, right? Because see, whenever the, the, the Magi, what was their plan? They were gonna find Jesus, worship him, and then go tell Herod. But whenever the Lord spoke to them, because they had made themselves available to that, they made a new plan, and it says, and they went a different way to their home land, right? So the Magi did two things, in response to Jesus' humility, and that was that they gave their gifts and followed his kingdom. So thing number one today, that, that as, as we worship, I want us uh, to reflect on, is what gifts are you already holding that you can give to him? I'm not asking you to come up with new things. I'm not asking you like, oh no, well, I don't have any gold, so I've gotta go find, I've gotta do something to give to Jesus. What do you have already today that you can gift to him. Maybe it's, maybe it's like a, a task that you have the ability to do. Uh, I've heard a story of, of, of a guy who felt like he could do nothing for the church and then the church found out he made really good coffee. So every time they have any outreach event ever, he goes and he makes coffee for all of the workers and all of the people there. And it's like changed the entire like momentum swing of the way their church does ministry. Whatever, whatever you have, if it's a gift you have, I want to ask you to reflect on giving that to him. Maybe you've got much gold and you say, Jesus, I have much gold. I would like to give you much gold. If that's what it is, you know, whatever your gift is, I want to encourage you first to reflect what gifts are you already holding that you can give to him. The second is this. We all want to be the captain of our own lives, but spend some time listening to the Lord so that he might guide your next steps. See, A posture of pride is poisonous, but a humble heart opens the pathway for the Lord to move in your life. So just as the Magi, as they worship Jesus, they gave him his gifts and they were humble before a humble king, open up to him today and see where, listen, do some time of response, see where he might be leading us. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.